When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. With German gourmet doner kebabs made with our signature sauces. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, a daily dose of Premier League football in podcast form. I'm Jim Salverson. It's the last show of the week before we get stuck into the weekend's football in full with the preview show that is out tomorrow morning. Click subscribe now so you don't miss that episode. But we have a bucket load full of stuff to dig through on today's podcast. We're going to wrap up last night's Europa League action, which saw a heartbreak for Arsenal against Greek opposition and joy for Manchester United against the Belgians. But... Maybe Reds on either side shouldn't get too carried away with those two results. There's Friday Night Football later in the form of Norwich City versus Leicester City. We're going to pick the winner in that game in the Premier League preview, which shouldn't take too long because it's going to be the Foxes. And the Guru, <laughs> our fancy football expert, will be on the podcast a little bit later to crunch the numbers before you make that all-important game week transfer. But today in the studio we have, to my left, a man who would climb up the highest mountain, who would sail across the seven seas, who would swim through the deepest ocean to bring you the latest football news. Fergal Brennan. Hello. Hello Fergal. Uh, hi. That was like, beautiful. I feel like I've, I've done all of those things to get here this morning, so <laughs> yeah. thanks, Jim. It's pretty grim weather in the northwest of England oh, today. Fl- flipping on, what's he got planned for me? Well, on the right side, we've got a fella who would do anything to see Mike Ashley leave Newcastle, <laughs> but he won't do that. It's Marley Anderson. That's about right. Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Very good. Right, so I want to start off not with the Europa League quite yet, but with the Premier League's announcement that they're going to be opening an official Premier League Hall of Fame and they'll be inducting two members 
over the next few weeks. Now, there's some pretty obvious candidates to go into the Premier League Hall of Fame, the likes of Ryan Giggs and Alan Shearer and Terry Henry and maybe even John Terry, Frank Lampard, people like that as well. But I want to give some credit today on some of the outside bets, some other people in the Premier League who maybe deserve a look in to getting into the Premier League Hall of Fame. I've asked everyone to come up with a slightly left-side punt for who they think should be included. You can join in on Twitter as well, at the Sports Social. You can get us there. We'll get Marley and Fergal's suggestions later. We're going to kick off with my case for including Paolo Di Canio in the Premier League Hall of Fame. Hear me out on this one. I'm a West Ham fan, obviously. And Paolo Di Canio, minus the racism, is my favourite player of all time. He absolutely lit up Upton Park when he was there and he provided some of the most memorable moments in Premier League history. Obviously, there was that goal against Wimbledon, the volley, which is undoubtedly the greatest Premier League goal of all time. I won't hear any different. There was the time he grabbed the ball from the cross because he wanted one of his... Against pe- Everton, yeah. Yeah, one yeah. of the people on the opposition to be treated for a muscle pull that they'd experienced, which was an iconic moment of sportsmanship. There was, of course, the push on referee Paul Alcock, which that is one of the most hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> moments of all time when he's playing for Sheffield Wednesday. But he was also involved in what was my favourite Premier League game of all time and a game I was lucky enough to watch live at Upton Park as well. It was West Ham 5, it was Bradford 4 which is a crazy game in itself, <laughs> but it was made even more crazy by the fact that halfway through that game, Paolo Di Canio sat down on the touchline, sat down on the halfway line in front of Harry Redknapp and begged Harry Redknapp to take him off and substitute him because he was getting kicked so much by the Bradford players and he felt like he wasn't getting any protection from the referee. <laughs> Eventually, Redknapp convinced him to go back onto the pitch, said, Paolo, get out there, score goals, that's what you're here to do. And he did score goals. He scored a penalty. But the only reason he took the penalty was because he had a stand-up five-minute argument with Frank Lampard on the pitch about who was going to take the penalty before <laughs> ripping the ball off him and then putting it in the back of the net. So that's why, <laughs> in my opinion, Paolo Di Canio should be in the Premier League Hall of Fame. Any objections? Uh, well, there's, well, you said it right at the beginning of that. There'd be one big glaring thing. But I think <laughs> when you mesh together what you think of as a, as a club icon... Um, I think he falls right into that category for West Ham. Brilliant player. And and just these moments that, you know, when you watch Sky Sports highlight reels, he's guaranteed to be included in them for either an unbelievable goal or a ridiculous moment like one of the ones you pointed out. There's certain players you think of when you see certain shirts and there was the feeler West Ham shirt with the blue piping down the arm. And every time I see that shirt, I think of Paolo Di Canio and it kind of shows what an iconic player he was. Yeah. Great cool. player, wasn't he? So there's my pitch anyway. Right, let's go. talk about last night's Europa League games. We're not going to go through these game by game, but there's some interesting talking points across the board, not least in Arsenal's game last night, losing a game that everyone pretty much expected them to win. Now, Mikel Arteta said after that game that it hurt the loss. Now, Fergal, you're a resident Arsenal fan. Did it hurt? Yeah, um, myself and Mr Arteta have been in firm agreement on that. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you've said we're not going to go through this game by game because... I, I don't really want to. Yeah, um, now we're I've, just going to spend the next 20 minutes going on just about the Arsenal <laughs> game. We'll mention Man United and Wolves briefly at the end. Um, I've calmed down a bit from, from last night, but it's an example of a, a performance where there's not an awful lot you can say. It was just dreadful. It was just absolutely dreadful. Everything that was needed to win that game was mm. missing. Uh, everything that Arsenal should have done, they didn't do. Everything that shouldn't have done, they did. Um, and right the way across the board, I, I would... Probably only really say a Bamiyang. Yes, he missed that chance right at the end. Uh, and, and Leno as well are the only two that are above criticism, really. Um, 
Lacazette missed a few as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think I think all of them. This is a situation. This wasn't a Europa League team where there's say eight of the regular first eleven there and a few rolled in. No, mm. we had Abamyang, Lacazette, Pepe, Özil all starting. They all played the full 120 minutes. Dreadful, utterly dreadful. Um, Why are Arsenal blowing so hot and cold at the moment? Because there's been glimpses of them looking really good this season, particularly I- when Arteta's come in. And last night was just it was it was the old Arsenal. Yeah, that's you're exactly right. I think it's believing, the, believing kind of almost believing the hype. Arteta's come in, and the very things that he's improved have been the togetherness, the organisation, the fact that there's a system. And now, because there's been some positive results on the board, the same characters, the same players, are essentially saying, "Well, yeah, we've played ball with this for now, but we're going to go back to what we were." And it's mm. it was exactly the same last night as it as it was in the the dying days of Emery. There's very little difference in that, and I think. There were so many moments in the game last night that typified these situations. And for me, the uh, the Olympiacos goal was the first one. And our old friend, Mesut Ozil, um, if you haven't seen the game last night, have a have a look at a video, have a look at a clip while you listen to the podcast. Um, it's like a horror show freeze frame of how he lets Cissé come off him. Aubameyang screams at him to mark him or to just do something body check and <laughs> do, do, something. do something. You know, <laughs> Act as if you're on the pitch, not in the house. Because that's the way you're acting. Um, and the, the worst part about it is when Cissé connects with the ball, he's running out of the box. He isn't even looking at the goal, let alone the ball or mm. his man or anything. Um, and that was that was indicative across the board. He's he's obviously the one that's always held up, but he but he keeps falling into these traps of of criticism because he does it again and again and again. Shaka had his usual four or five shots over the bar, and then does that face where he goes. <sighs> Ooh, be like, what were you aiming for? Someone in the, in the in the back of the ground? You know, was that what you were aiming for? Because if you were, maybe you were close. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely shocking. I, I did feel a little bit for Aubameyang missing that chance at the end, but the reason being that's that? because he that's knows that he's the only one that was gonna was even gonna potentially score that. Mm. He's just scored a bicycle kick to what should have been enough. If I was a Bamiang, I'd be getting into the change rooms and saying, listen, lads, I missed that one, but you, 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 and you yeah. were all dreadful. If I hadn't scored that goal, then we'd have been we'd have been looking at penalties. Absolutely nothing compared to the miss from the Wolves fella. I can't remember his name oh. in the Espanyol game. Pedro as Neto. Complete, Pedro Neto. Complete open the goal. goal. <laughs> complete open goal. Complete. <laughs> I mean, from the Arsenal point of view, Marley, how much responsibility does Mikel Arteta have to take from the way he talked about that game beforehand and I think we talked about this on yesterday's podcast we said I mean he described the game as being not a chance to win a trophy not a must win game as an avenue to the Champions League which isn't the kind of rabble rousing speech in the dressing room that's going to get your players fired up to win is it oh this is our chance to maybe get into the Champions League it reminds me of Arsene Wenger describing fourth place as being as good as a trophy yeah um, yeah there are similarities I suppose but I think like it was clear from what Arteta was trying to say that he wants to go far in the Europa League. But it's one thing believing that as a manager and another thing getting that across to the players. Like The one thing I thought was let Arsenal down last night was a bit of uh, complacency. I think they thought they were going to beat Olympiacos. They underestimated. Mm. Like we mentioned yesterday, Olympiacos are very, very good at home. They're not as great on the travels. Maybe they've thought, well, they're going to turn up here and, and do what they usually do against English opposition and kind of roll over and we'll have a, a nice easy night. Um, and when you put... If you're struggling to get up for a game, the last the last person you want in your team is Mesut Ozil because he will, he's the first one who would be a passenger. So he's the first one to go, ah, we'll, we'll win this, just give, give us a ball, I'll, I'll slide up Amiang in and we'll win 3-0, it'll be all right. 
but he's the one where you like you need you still need to put a shift in mm-hmm. you still need to respect Olympiacos they're not a bad team they're from you know they win they're right up the in the title uh, title picture every year in uh, in Greece usually winning it they're not they're not mugs so last night was just like a, a massive kick up the ass basically because they got done in the 93rd minute by a 33-year-old striker mm. who's been around banging goals in in, in France and uh, he's been in Spain and he's been to Saudi Arabia a couple of times as well. But it's still those kind of players that can hurt you when you when you don't respect them. So and that's exactly what happened. It's now on the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> there's so many things that you can point at. And as Marley said, yeah, complacency. I think right the way across across the board, the team. I don't think Arteta was complacent. I think it, again, it's it's the players. Mm. There's an issue running right the way through the heart of that team. Um, and I've said it before on the podcast. He's got an enormous job this summer. He has to basically sit down and go. These are the experienced players that I want to keep to help these excellent young players because Arsenal do have some excellent young players coming through, yeah. and these are the ones that are going to have to go. But unfortunately, because of situations that have been created at the club in the past, someone like Ozil, who is going to take Ozil? He's still got another year to go on his contract. He's got enormous wages. The only feasible situation I could see is a Chinese side coming in for him, a la Gareth Bale. And we saw what happened when the idea of a transfer fee was raised. And quite rightly, I think it was uh, Jiang Su Sunning mm. that said, listen, guys, you know, we're paying him €200,000 a week. I think that's enough of a deal without you asking for £30 million on top. Mm. Arsenal, I mean, I would I would go on record say I'd be happy for Ozil to leave on a free this summer. More than happy for him to leave. But I don't see that happening because he won't take a pay cut mm. because of the contract that he was given towards the end of Arsene Wenger's But if he time. leaves on a free, potentially there's a signing bonus and all that kind of thing. Which for could, him, yeah, yeah. I mean, if a club, as I say, likely to possibly be in China, maybe the MLS, if if they want to bring him in as a marquee player, yeah, by all means, whatever contract situation he's offered, whatever club is daft enough to give it to him, more power to them, good luck to them, hmm. um, because I, I want him out. Let's go for Manchester United, who'll be a bit happier than Arsenal fans at the moment. 5-0 last night, first start and a first goal for Odeon Ingalo as well. It's hard to know what to think about this game because I was watching the highlights and Club Bruges were kind of in it until they got the man sent off. But as good as Manchester United were, Club Bruges were that bad yeah. in response. Yeah. It was just a very poor opposition, it seemed like. They were awful. They were really bad. It's like Man United were were good, but they made they were made to look amazing by a shocking Bruges side. I mean, the way... They just continually got themselves into trouble at the back, trying to pass it out. Mm. And Man United only needed to do a little bit of pressing, and they got the ball back, like you know, forty yards from from Bruges' goal. And, and then they were just asking for trouble. I mean, when Simon Minnier pulled off a, a Cruyff turn <coughs> in the first half to get away from, I think it was Igalo or or maybe Daniel James or someone, um, he did a Cruyff turn, and it, and it worked. But then he passed it to his defender and then the defender passed it into a guy who just immediately got tackled and then Mignolet had to make a really good save after that. That'd be thought, credit to Manchester United for the high press there, I suppose, to a little bit, for putting that pressure high up the pitch. Yeah. I'm trying to find positives for Manchester United. <laughs> yeah. Trying to give them credit. That is good. Um, and they have to, you know, there has to be a style and they, 
the, to take forward into into other games. So maybe this is a nice confidence booster. You know, Igalo scoring's a good thing. Mm. Uh, Fred Fred got a couple at the end. Lingard got an assist. You know, you're in trouble when Fred wow. scored a couple of goals against you. Yeah, and Lingard Ling- got an assist. Lingard, <laughs> Lingard assisting Fred. And whoa, Jesus. What, There's a headline you never thought you'd it, see. I, suppose, I tell you what, if coronavirus doesn't kill the world off, that will. <laughs> I suppose we have to. I mean, I don't want to slag United off because they have just won five 0 <laughs> but it does show a little bit how badly they performed in the first leg to only get a one-one draw in Belgium. Maybe, but the I've, it would have been interesting to see how what the score would have been had that idiot not just dived and saved the uh, mm. saved the shot from Daniel James. I don't know what he was doing. There was shades Making an excellent save. Shades yeah. of Steve He's Taylor, been, weren't there? It, yeah. For Newcastle. And Steve Cook earlier this season. Yeah. Was he called Steve the Defender? Maybe we <laughs> were spotting Deli. a theme here. <laughs> Steve Deli, yeah. It was a, it was a great save. I, I'd take him in my seven-a-side team any day. But it, Again, if you haven't seen the highlights, go and have a look. Oh, the defender dives across with his arm outstretched to stop a ball going in the back of the net, which Simon Mignolet is behind him, almost shadowing exactly the exact, same motion. It's like there's a mirror along the six-yard line. It's, it's an exact yeah. mirror of what he's doing. Yeah, I think there's a theory that maybe Mignolet was copying him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right, OK, I'm definitely going to find a positive Manchester United here, and that's got to be Bruno Fernandes, yeah. who has lit a bit of a fire under Manchester United. He looked good again last night, and he's looked good when he's played in the Premier League as well, it could turn out that Bruno Fernandes is a brilliant signing. Yeah, um, albeit a delayed one. A lot of stuff I was reading on Twitter last night was kind of sarcastic United fans saying, well, this is what he, this is how good he is. You know, imagine if he'd come in at the start of the season, mm. we could be right in the top four, maybe maybe pushing for, for honours across the board. Um, it was such a difficult one last night because as you say, it was such a ridiculous game. The red card took any sort of a sense of a contest out of it. But what he did last night is what all good players do. In a bad game, in in a sort of strange situation, he stands out. And that's exactly what he did last night. He stood out on against a pretty poor Brew side. Against the United side, yes, they won 5-0, but it wasn't an amazing performance. You know, we've, yeah. we've all laughed and said, you know, we're kind of looking for positives. But he stood out. And that's the reason for that is his average level is that high. And he'll drag the others up another point or two around him and he will set a standard for the others to reach. Because if he's performing like this in this sort of a ridiculous game, which in reality was over before half-time and he's still driving them, again, to look for positives, they didn't really drop off that much in the second half. They looked for goals. They they got two goals for Fred. He'll set that standard because he'll say, "This this isn't good enough because if we don't get the practice into the legs against against these sorts of mm. sides, we're not going to be able to do it against better sides. And you compare that to Mesut Ozil, for yeah, example. I was going to say oh, that. God, yeah. Players, I, going, yeah. of, I mean, Mesut Ozil has got talent. We see it on a very rare occasion. But who treats that kind of game as a friendly, as a practice game almost? Yeah, almost. yeah. yeah absolutely. But I think that's, that's, that's a marked difference between the two of them. Standards. Yeah. Bruno Fernandes has respect for his own standards and the standards demanded of a Manchester United player. Mesut Ozil has very little respect for any of those things, mm. for, for the standards that are required to play for Arsenal Football Club, to play in the Premier League, to play in the Europa League. He doesn't really have any of those things. And, and you know, he's kind of become a figure of fun and it's almost like it's in fashion to criticise him. And I say, when, when people say that to me, it's like, no, just watch him, just watch him. I say this <laughs> to non-Arsenal fans all the time, just watch him. I, I was watching it with a mate last night. I said, do me a favour, just play a cam him for five or ten minutes. And he did. And he was like... 
He's dreadful. He's dreadful. Mm. He, there was there was times in the game where he was hiding behind someone. We're getting sucked back into hi, Arsenal. Hi, <laughs> yeah, 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 sorry, sorry, We're sorry. Talking sorry. about a different game entirely. Sorry, sorry. Bruno Fernandez is great. Standard yeah. setter. No more Özil chat. Apologies. <laughs> well, as for Wolves, I think the thing we learned from their game against Espanyol last night is Nuno Sanchez is a dirty liar. He said that he was worried about the game. He said there was nothing to take from the first leg that he'd be treating this game as important. And then he plays pretty much a reserve side against Espanyol last night. No Jota, no Jimenez. Jimenez was on the bench, which is just good game management, I guess, because there was no way they were going to lose that 4-0 loss to 4-0 lead they had against a very poor Espanyol team. No, and I think the best bit about it is Santos learning how to be a top four, top six manager by lying to the media. That's (laughs) that's kind of lesson one. Uh, He's thinking now like a top six manager. If I was a Wolves fan, I'd be going... Wow, he's getting it now. Like he's he's realizing what he needs to do uh, in every area. Now he's covering the media department. Um, no, th- that result was never going to get turned around. But really effective, really professional from Wolves last night to to make sure they got through. Make sure there was no chance of any sort mm-hmm. of a scare. And they're in a situation now where their recruitment in the summer was so good. They've now got probably up to their first sixteen, seventeen players that are all excellent. That are all of a Premier League starting standard, Europa League starting standard. Um, and they're a really strong outside bet to, to go all the way. Well, I was going to say, are they dark horses? Last time they got to the last 16, they got through to the final. And yeah, it was 50, 48 years ago. <laughs> so it's been quite a while since they've experienced that. But they've surprised us in the Premier League. They've surprised us in the Europa League. Why can't they go all the way? I think they've, they've got a chance. I wouldn't say that. I'd say they're light brown horses at the minute. I think a lot of people are kind of going, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I don't see why. I think... Obviously, balancing it against the league in the next month or so will be difficult, but based on their performances, based on what we've seen they can do, I, I don't see why not. Inter are a Champions League quarterfinal team mm. easily this season on, on the current form. It's just they got sucked into that group of death with Barcelona and Dortmund and as well, and somebody had to go out. I think they went they went out of it on the on the last game week and the Dortmund bettered the result and uh, ended up finishing above them. And you look how good those teams are, and it's like, that's how good you are. That's how good you have to be to get rid of Inter. So Inter have come into this Europa League as top, probably the the favourites for it. So Wolves would be thinking, if we could get them, and we could test ourselves against them, then we can see how, how good we are. And then if they beat them, then all of a sudden everyone's going, right, Wolves are, are genuine challenges here, because not that many teams around Europe will be aware of what, Wolves are good at like they'll they'll be they'll know what they'll get from Man United because they're always in the always in the news kind of thing around Europe but the Wolves are a little bit of a lesser known quantity and they're they're more likely to be overlooked by other clubs which is only strong for them because they're going to turn up at Molyneux and get pl- passed off the park and mm. not know where hits them when uh, Jimenez and Jota start you know tearing them apart and they come up against the freak on the wing and Adama Traore who just beasts everyone <laughs> In terms of like shock factor, they do, they do genuinely have a chance of going quite far. Well, one team that will hope they aren't involved in Thursday night action next season will be Leicester City, who have still got their eyes firmly on the Champions League, but they need to start picking up points. They play Norwich City tonight, and we're going to preview that game very shortly on Football Social Daily. Before we do that, let's get one of your slightly off-the-wall suggestions for inclusion in the Premier League Hall of Fame. You can go next, Marley. Who do you want to potentially and you can't say Alan Shearer we've already ruled him out oh. so who do you want to potentially put into the Hall of Frame well because you're not allowing me to have Alan Shearer who's obviously going to be probably the first one in yeah probably uh, I'm going to go for another Newcastle striker <laughs> Shola Miobi no Joe Linton go on have another guess <laughs> definitely not Joe Linton uh, Les Ferdinand no 
Beardsley. No. Tino Asprea. Okay. Okay. Get in. Just because he's just the ultimate maverick striker. Di Canio's got a little bit of it. And I admit, you know, Asprea was in the... the, um, the league for like a season and a half <laughs> and I think he scored about seven goals but he arrived about this carefully <laughs> no not really um he arrived in England um he got off the plane he had a fur coat on he looked like he was just the don he was an absolute man and he just he basically he basically derailed Newcastle's title charge in 96 by confusing Shearer and Ferdinand um however he was mint <laughs> It, like we beat Barcelona in the Champions League three two, um, he scored a hat trick, and he was just amazing. Like in terms of ability, he was so quick, so powerful, amazing jump, everything about him. He had a pretty bad drug habit <laughs> as well. Like in terms of he was that might that, explain the jumping. That, that's probably when he why he went back to uh, well, it didn't last in the northeast. And I just, I don't know, I just love him. He's just one of them maverick strikers. Like you need players like that who just get you off your seat. And he was just so good at it. Didn't he? He was a, a one of those somersault celebration guys as well, wasn't yeah. he? One of the original ones. One yeah, of the yeah. original somersault celebration yeah, he could guys. Do, he could do backflips and all. Can sorts. I just ask how did he confuse Shear and Ferdinand? How did that happen? <laughs> no, they like <laughs> they didn't confuse them. They mistake one for the other. Oh right, okay, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I was thinking too literal there. Yeah. <laughs> no, like they were a solid partnership, and then Aspria came in, and everyone was like. Right, how do we get all three of them in the same team? And they couldn't, basically. Ah, yeah, okay. you, you wouldn't yeah. get Les Ferdinand and Alan Shearer in the thinking. same identity like, lineup, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Did Shearer's wife ring and he was like, Yeah, he's just left. Les Ferdinand should be home in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's leave it there. We'll get Fergal's nomination for a slightly unusual nominee for the Premier League Hall of Fame shortly. We've also got some fancy football advice and we're going to talk Norwich City versus Leicester City. We'll do that next. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Try the new KCAL Kebab only from German Doner Kebab. Subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. Tonight it is Norwich City versus Leicester City in the Premier League. And you've got to say, time's running out for Norwich now. Or has it run out already? I can't quite decide. 11 games left. They probably need another... 20 points? That's not going to happen, is it? No, uh, no, I really don't think so. Uh, even if we're going with the maths of that we think based on the numbers so far this season, you won't need 40 to stay up. I think kind of 37, 38 has been mooted. Mm. Yeah, 20 points from 11 games would be superhuman for them to get. Um, but I think the writing's been on the wall for some time, just based on the way they play. I, I still go back to this thing of them being a bit naive. Pucky started the season really well and everyone thought that was going to last. It probably was never going to last and it hasn't lasted. Little bits and pieces of positivity with the likes of Campwell, Emiliano mm. Buendia has been nice and uh, tidy for them in midfield. But uh, again, I just think ultimately they've they've tried to go with the idea of, well, this set of players got us up, this way of playing got us up, you know, we'll take on all comers and wherever, you know, wherever the cards fall, we'll go with that. And I think <clears throat> for the Premier League, that very, very rarely works. So I think this has actually been a foregone conclusion for a couple of months. Um Daniel Farke is a nice man, nice manager, nice fella. That's a nice man. Uh, I'm sure he's a nice man. Um, <laughs> Do you think someone will come in for him? Because he's done all right with Norwich. Did all right getting them promoted. Do you think he'll still be at Norwich City next season in the Championship? Because yeah. to me, it seems yeah. like they've set up this season for next season. Their acquisitions in the January window were all about Championship football next season. They've not overstretched themselves financially. Yeah, they'll probably lose the likes of Aaron's and 
Campwell will probably yeah. go for decent fees to Premier League clubs. But other than that, they're in a good position to come back up next season. They yeah. are, but they, they need to be prepared again for what is an absolute slog of a season. 46-game season um, with a relatively young squad. And as you say, take a few key players out of that, that immediately destabilises them. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I can see something... I can see the Fark situation playing out similar to the David Wagner situation at Huddersfield. As the Fark in, situation sounds like one of the Bourne films. It does, yeah. <laughs> Jason Bourne in the Fark situation. <laughs> um, I can see he, him. Even he wouldn't get Norwich to stay up at this stage, I think. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, I can see it like starting next season in the Championship and then things not going quite as well because not many teams bounce straight back to the mm. Championship. Mm. Like It usually takes time, especially when you take out the likes of Cantwell and Aarons and maybe Godfrey and players like that who might leave. Um, and then a, a German club who were in the Bundesliga coming in for him, like David Wagner's at Schalke now, and he's doing do, he's doing pretty well. It's just a case of, I think he's a good manager and he's got everything out of that squad. But if you give him a better squad, what could he do yeah. at another club? And German clubs would be looking at him like, well, Daniel's gone to England and he's implemented his style. And they'll look at the, the football Norwich play, you know, any potential hires, uh, employers, and they'll go... They play really good football and we've got a better squad man for man than Norwich or they'll think they have and they'll give them, maybe give him that chance. Somewhere somewhere like Wolfsburg or somewhere like that, you know, like a, a team that aren't quite doing as well in Germany who are a better team you know, that need to do better. I just think that I can see it being a similar situation. And without the lure of Premier League football, maybe that's an attractive offer as well yeah, for a manager. Maybe, yeah. You mentioned Pukki. Tonight's going to be a tale of two strikers who started like a house on fire but have kind of gone off the boil in 2020. Jamie Vardy, 17 league goals this season, which is very impressive, but hasn't scored since Christmas. Timu Puki hasn't netted for a while either. In fact, no Norwich City player has scored an open play since New Year's Day, which is insane. If anyone's going to break their duck tonight, it's going to be Jamie Vardy, isn't it? It's not going to be Timo Puki that's going to be bagging three. <laughs> uh, you'd think so, yeah. Um because the, the consistent thing with Vardy is we constantly expect him to shake himself out of this. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't scored. I think there's the Man City game, the the game in in Manchester in, back in December. He hasn't mm. scored since. I'm really surprised. I didn't realise it had been such a barren streak for him. Almost two months without a goal. Yeah, he's, he's been injured for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, he's had bit two, well, two though, injuries so. as well. Mm. Yeah, I I don't see it as much of a drought no. in terms of like games you'd expect him to score. And he, he had a. Um, he was rested a little bit over Christmas as well with the Hiernacho coming in as well. Mm. Then he was injured and he he's just played a lot of games. He's, he's 32, 33, isn't he now? So you do have to manage him a little bit and especially when a player relies on such explosive pace and it's he does require a bit more of a rest. So I don't really think... He, he, I'm not. I haven't lost confidence in him at all. I, think, mm. I still think he'll bang, bang goals in from now to the end of the season. I can see him getting... 23, 24 by the end of the season if he's on 17 now I can see him getting another 7 or 8 easily really um, and I think he'll break it against Norwich tonight I hope There was a I hope so anyway because he's in my fantasy team so there was a point this season where it looked like Leicester City were absolutely nailed on for third place at least yeah. they've not had the best results recently one win in five I think it is now partly due to Jamie Vardy being out injured they're slowly going to be starting to look over their shoulder at those other teams that are picking up points and threatening the top four now so they need to start winning if they do want Champions League football 
Yeah, but they're looking over the shoulder and they'll just see an absolute shit fest. <laughs> Everyone just fighting each other, <laughs> just gouging each other's eyes out and clawing at each other. And nobody can string two wins together. So That's it, I suppose, it's like, isn't it? It's like looking in your rearview mirror and just seeing a Royal Rumble happening in the background. Like, everyone's just scrapping, no one's getting anywhere, so... Is you might lose three games, but the team behind you has also like drew the last three, so they've only gained three three points on you rather than nine. Mm. And then basically Chelsea have gone off the boil, and they're they're the closest thing to Leicester at the minute anyway. So in terms of like Leicester have maybe gone back from fifth gear to third gear, but it's, Chelsea are struggling along, stalling the car kind with, of thing. With the exception of Liverpool, it's kind of like the season that they won the Premier League, isn't it for Leicester City? Where everyone, everyone else was is a bit just rubbish. not yep. doing very well and beating each other. Yeah, maybe. Team news for tonight. Leicester City's Wilfred Ndidi is, could be back, sorry. Hasmar Chowdhury is back after a ban as well. Iniacho is also back in contention. So a full compliment for Leicester. For Norwich City, Hernandez is out for eight weeks now. He needs a knee operation. Sam Byram is out for the season as well. And Zimmerman has a hamstring issue. So he'll be missing as well. Doesn't really affect the result. Are we all backing a large Leicester City win let's go for the predictions so we can prove we know nothing about football when the result actually happens <laughs> uh, I go 2 nil Leicester Barney to score he, he's got to start scoring again mm. and Leicester I'd say maybe two wins uh, just to absolutely rubber stamp that top four uh, I agree with what Marley was saying that they're kind of limping over the line mm. and helped by the fact that everyone's beating each other to death behind them but Vardy's got to get back scoring at some stage and, and why not tonight against the worst defence in the league Marley Anderson I think I think you've actually touched on one of the reasons Leicester have been off the boil as well. Indeed, his injury. That is massive for them. Like, huge. He's such a huge player for them. Um, if indeed he plays, I can see it being 2 or 3 nil to, to Leicester. If he doesn't play, I can see it being a bit of a, uh, a, a goal fest. I think it'll be 4-2. Ooh, I'm going to go 3-1 with a James Madison free kick. Oh, Madison's against well. his old club as well. Yeah, he came exactly. through at Norwich. Right, let's get another inclusion into our Hall of Fame before we move on to some fantasy football advice. So, Fergal, it's you to go. I'm going for quite a boring one. Steve Bold. <laughs> uh, he's already in my personal Hall of Fame. He's in my hall, <laughs> my hallway. I've got a big statue on. Um, I'm go- yeah, no, I am going for kind of a boring one in comparison to Aspria. My one's definitely not as exciting as Aspria. And I just kind of, I've been looking like, the appearance lists, the goals lists, and most of the names that are at the top of them are, are going to be getting in. They're, they're an absolute shoo-in. So I've gone for a, a bit of a left-field choice, and that is Mark Schwarzer. Now, according to the numbers, you know, all big fans of numbers on this show, uh, he's got the third best clean sheet record in the history of the Premier League behind Petr Cech and da- David James, who I'd say Cech is probably going to get in, and probably James on account of being an England international. Yeah. Um, but he's also the highest appearance maker for a goalkeeper in the history of the Premier League. He's got 514 appearances. Wow. Yeah. Um, I didn't just know that. I have I have checked this. <laughs> um, I just think, again, the old cliches, model of consistency, um, loved by teammates, managers. He's played for a number of sides. And not in the, the same way as De Canio, as you said before, with, with West Ham, but he's in a quiet way been a club icon at almost every side he's played for. Mm. Everybody that supports clubs he's played for loved him, remembered exactly what he did for them, how important he was. And let's be honest, he, he played for some pretty average teams and guaranteed them points mm. for a long time, saved teams from relegation, almost with his own two hands on, on quite a few occasions. And I think as a little subplot to this, I thought he did get a league winner's medal either at Chelsea or Leicester because he was on the bench 
to when they both won the league. And according to our friends over at Wikipedia, he didn't oh. because he didn't make the required appearances, appearances for yeah. either of them. So he's never actually won a a league medal. The, the biggest honour of his club career was a football league cup win with Middlesbrough in 2004. So I think he deserves it. He deserves he? something. Yeah. He deserves a, a, a thing to put on his mantelpiece. I think. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really do think so. I yeah. think when Chelsea won the league, the system used to work where you had to make five appearances, was it? And well, he got four. Yeah, whereas now, now they just... Classic give, Mourinho, that. <laughs> they just give you a, a set number of medals yeah. now and you can you distribute, distribute them yeah. as, as you wish. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday league style, yeah. <laughs> just handing them out in the pub. Yeah. Uh, a couple of honourable mentions that have come in on our Twitter account, at the Sports Social, if you want to consider these as well. Joe Taylor... It's a good shout, but I think... Who's he? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking... <laughs> Joe Taylor in the Hall of Fame. No, Joe Taylor's made the suggestion, <laughs> Try to keep up. Uh, Letizier, one-man club. Yeah. Southampton would have gone down a few times without his goals. They were very special goals as well, which is a great shout, Matt Letizier, but I think he played too much of his career outside of the Premier League. This is just Premier League, so it's just... what When was the Premier League started? 94? 92. 92, was it? Yeah. So I think he was too much before that. Do you think? Um, no, not now you're questioning me. Um, <laughs> I don't know, again... I, I, I mean, if, if it is, if it is, if he did play a significant portion within the Premier League, he's a, a surefire entry, surely. I think he'll probably be on the next... How many people are going in on the first... Two. 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 Okay, well, then, yeah, no, he's not going to be in the first no. two. Um, I think he'll be one of them that will come in over time. Again, he's one of these people, when you think of Sky Sports highlight reels, goals, great goals, he's always there. There's, there's that ridiculous finish that he masters of, like, kind of a low half volley that he just drop over the keeper mm. into the top corner. Um, but, yeah, maybe a bit of first division football might count against him, but I think eventually he should creep in. Yeah, but he played eighty six to nine to two thousand and two. So he played six years outside the Premier League when, and then the Premier League started, and ten years in it. Yes. Okay. So maybe yeah. he maybe he is allowed in then. One hundred and sixty one goals in four hundred and forty three in the league. Decent. Not bad. Another suggestion from Stuart. There's plenty ahead of him, but I think the Premier League record appearance holder, representing four clubs in the league over three separate decades, with a winner's medal as well, Gareth Barry, should be put in. Well, Gareth Barry actually was trending on Twitter yesterday because a lot of people were saying Gareth Barry um, as the most, you know, the big most uh, appearances in the league and what have you. Uh, he's also got the most yellow cards as well, so he's been a he's been a dirty git over three decades. <laughs> Consistent though, <laughs> yeah, consistently dirty. Good, he, obviously, great player at Villa. He was he was amazing. Yeah, he sort of reinvented reinvented himself as he got a bit older and lost his uh, lost his pace and and what have you, but. Yeah, he's a good, good player. I'm sure. I think he will be eventually. I think I'd... you've got to be retired to be included at the moment, and he's still playing. Ah, okay. Obviously, he's still at West Brom. So is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Christ. he can't. He can't quite make it in at the moment, but certainly one for the future. Fair enough. One for the future. That hasn't been said about Gareth Barry for some time. <laughs> <laughs> it's the year 1995. <laughs> right. Let's move on to fantasy football as we welcome into the sports social studio the guru, Kieran. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. Oh, no, you're doing He's it. Getting I'm getting into, into it, it now. You're getting I'm into near character. that 10k mark. I'm going for it. Uh, yeah, so you're in heading towards the top 10,000 fantasy football players in the world. Yeah, I'm 11,000 at the moment. 11,098, I think. Um, Do you I get haven't been in the top 10 all, all year, so it's 
gross. I can feel it. Very impressive. I can smell it in the air. Well, let's impart some of your wisdom on the fantasy football <laughs> players who listen to the podcast as well. We've got three questions for you as per normal. If you ever have a question for the guru, you can get us at the Sports Social. Get your questions in there. He'll do his best to answer them ahead of next week's game week. So we're going to start off with Harry, who says, How do I handle some of the teams not playing this weekend because of the Caribou Cup final? Have I missed the boat in terms of swapping players in or out, or is there something clever I can do? And does it mean there's a double games week coming very soon? Um, well, only you can tell me whether you've missed the boat or not in terms of transfers. It depends how many you've got left, really. Um, obviously, I would be going... He's going to have a maximum of two free transfers, isn't he? Unless yeah. he, unless he wild You, you want to be it. using every transfer so that you have at least 11 players. I have opted to make sure that I have a sub as well, mm. um, mainly because Martial's picked up an injury and Doherty played midweek. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned about those players. And so I made transfers to make sure I had at least an option on the bench. Um, you can be, you can be a little bit too cautious in trying to get transfers, and I think um, remind yourself that unless you've, or if you've already spent wild cards or um, you're taking hits to bring these players in, these players are going to play a double game week in the mm. near future. So points you lose now, spending a minus four to make sure you have someone off the bench and particularly potentially getting rid of someone like KDB who could be playing a double game week in a couple of times. They don't make sense when you do the maths. So I say use any transfer you have to make sure you have as strong a, a squad as possible. Don't transfer out someone who has a game week, even if they're bad. Uh, so you want to make sure that you have people in positions first and foremost. So is it a potential to look ahead to those double game weeks then? If you missed the boat on making yourself have a full team now, when you're looking at future transfers, the, the teams that do have these double games weeks, so... Villa, City, whoever the other two teams are as well. Mm. You could maybe look at bringing those players Sheffield in going forward. Yeah, um, it's, the trouble is we don't know when those double game weeks are. We have an idea, they normally come about game week 31, um, but they haven't announced any. They also haven't announced the further um, blank game weeks. And so everyone's being really cautious. Uh, I'd say follow on the advice we've been given out all season. Don't use your wildcard yet. Don't use your free hit. Uh, don't use your bench boost. You should still have all those options I out. Don't. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if you've already blown it. <laughs> um, yeah, I used so, my bench so, boost for, last for example, week for I, an impressive two extra points. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I have KDB in. He's staying in. I say if you've got Grealish, you want to keep him in your team. Don't start moving players out only for this blank game week, particularly if you have strength across the field. Okay, Paul's got a question. He says, I know you've been telling us to hold off for a few weeks now, but I'm being very, very tempted by Bruno Fernandes. Is he worth a punt yet? Yeah, it, it keeps. It looks like he might be the business. Uh, I say the main differential, yeah, well, we've only had him three weeks, I think, going now. He's um, taken over penalties as well. Penalties is the main differential now. So we didn't know he was on penalties before. Rashford and Pogba are out. Um, he suddenly looks a lot more attractive. He's still not getting clear goal opportunities mm. um, in open play, um, but he's on set pieces and he's taking penalties. Um, so I think that's probably jumped him over Martial, who I myself have gone with, particularly with a niggling injury now. Um, I'd say at this moment when you are short of other midfielder options, so you've got Richarlison and poor fixtures, Grealish not playing a game week, um, he's suddenly looking quite attractive. But I would... You know, in two game weeks, I'm, I would shift him out for a Charleston, um or go back to Martial when he's fit. But he's got three weeks to prove me wrong. And finally from Jason, who says, Guru, oh guru, I have Martial <laughs> and I'm considering swapping him for either Harvey Barnes or James Madison. Could those be a shrewd move? Uh, Leicester have good fixtures, really good fixtures now. Um, but as we saw last week, Harvey Barnes still hasn't nailed down his position. 
Um, he's sort of Mares is like great for points performance when he plays, mm. but he's an uncertainty, particularly when you go into situations where you might have blank game weeks. I think Harvey Barnes is too much for a risk. Um, but I'm really attracted to Leicester's uh, fixtures in the, the next five or six game weeks. So I'm keeping Vardy in my squad to look after that. I think Madison is the only locked out midfielder in the Leicester lineup. So I'd be going with him as well. I'd also be looking at their defence. So I think Pereira's shown week in, week out that he's a good option. Mm. Chilwell's all right. And uh, Soyuncu is making a bit of a comeback. Everyone's suddenly finding him very attractive again because Leicester are finally showing up uh, with um, and Diddy coming back. Guru, thank you very much. Thank you. You can get your questions into the Guru for next week's podcast. He's always on a Friday at the Sports Social is our Twitter account to get the questions in. Guru, thank you. Fergal, thank you. Marley, thank you. Thank you. Make thank sure you. you subscribe to this podcast. There'll be a full weekend preview tomorrow morning. Click subscribe and we'll get that to you as soon as it's ready. Have a good weekend. See you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with GDK. Taste the difference with our quality ingredients and lean succulent beef. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.